Hello and welcome to the Chase Family Church podcast. This week is Pentecost Sunday and we have Ken speaking to us. What's today? Anyone know? Pentecost, yes, you've got to come up with a number of answers. We're a charismatic church, that means that we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Doesn't mean that we're just gifted people, although you are a lot of gifted people, lovely people at that. But um, I've been doing this series on the gifts of the Spirit and we've come to the part that talks about tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. But I didn't think I'd do that today. I think I'll do that next time round. I'd like to talk about Pentecost. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read through a few verses to get a sense of what happened. I'll start from verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them all in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to their men of Judea, And all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pentecost, (coughs) that's what happened on that day. So we're a charismatic church, so we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're love gifts of Jesus to his church. They're not natural, but they're supernatural. And they're given for a number of reasons. Here's one, to glorify Jesus. 
When people say, I don't, I don't believe that the gifts work for today or things like tongues are for today, they're taking away the opportunity of glorifying Jesus in these areas. So they're given to glorify Jesus, to build up and edify his church. The word edify comes from edifice, the building, but they're there to build up and edify his church, which is his body. They're there to reveal that which needs revelation. Have you ever wanted a revelation from God? Well, he can give it via these things. It's there to confirm his word. God confirms what he says, and there's nothing more wonderful than to be able to, to preach with confidence, knowing that if God's word enters a person's heart, it will challenge them, and it will confirm his word. And it's to bring his kingdom <coughs> in people's lives, the reign and rule of Jesus over us. We on our part are to be recipients and users of these gifts. This requires that we're sensitive, that we hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, and in faith, give away those gifts. Because as I said already, the gifts are not for you, they're for you to give away. They're for other people. So if God gives you a gift, he gives it for you to give away, to bless someone else. Do you ever take time to stop and say, Lord, what are you saying? Just give God the opportunity to say something into your heart and into your life that shows you the way forward. We sometimes, I think when we take time to pray, sometimes we need to take that bit of time to say, Lord, I want to stop now and I want to listen and see what God says. Because anything can happen. Faith is the key to using the gifts of the Spirit. And in fact, it's the key to the whole spiritual life, isn't it? Faith moving in this realm is spiritual. I keep on saying this, it's not natural, it's supernatural. So it's not subject to our natural senses. So in other words, I don't prophesy because I get chills down my spine. I might get chills down my spine because I prophesy. That's the other way around. So we have responsibility to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word and stir up into flame the gifts of grace that God has bestowed upon us. Have we and are we? That's really by way of an introduction. <clears throat> now having read the, what happened on the day of Pentecost, I'd like to ask the question, why was the Holy Spirit given at this point? Well, the Bible really is the story of two men. It's not complicated. It starts with the first Adam. And he represented mankind. And God enters into a covenant or an agreement with this first Adam. But Adam breaks the covenant. And when he breaks it, men become alienated from God. Something came between God and man. And that something was sin. So instead of the true image of God that he wanted us to be, like having fellowship with him, representing him, all those things have disappeared. They're lost, they're estranged. Although I have to say that there's still an element of the um, covenant of God working in us, our being representative of God. That's why people are loving, because they may have a great problem with love, but loving is there because God loved and there's still a residue of that in us 
and there's a residue in other things. How can I appreciate nature, uh, things like this? Because I still have within me a residue of that which should have been there in fullness, but is now there in just a small part. We're estranged from God. So the Old Testament really is the history of man's fall and rebellion and loss, although all through this time God has been faithful to us with his promises of salvation. Now, I want to read you a verse. <coughs> it's easy to remember. It's Jeremiah 31, verse 31. And we ignore these things at our peril. I'll go back a little bit, as I always do. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast, as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, to bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. You know, sometimes God brings disaster on our lives. He does it to get our feet on the rock. He does it to do things that only those things... Sometimes we won't listen to anything else but a disaster. Now, that's hard to say, but sometimes God does that. He did it with Israel. As they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled, God had to bring things on them to bring them back into line. He did that because he loved them. If he didn't love them, he would have just let them go and they would have destroyed themselves. In those days, verse 29 says, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's a lovely little saying. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's what used to happen. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. That has a lot of implications. I have trouble sometimes when people say, uh, we should as a nation repent for what our forefathers did in the past. The trouble is, I can't repent for them, can I? They themselves have to repent for that. And of course, they're dead and buried. So sometimes we have to acknowledge what God says, that he says that there's a change that's coming. It's not now that the fathers eat the sour grapes and the children reap the consequences. We have to obey what God says in these things. Behold, the day is coming, declares the Lord, and this is the important verse, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and on their hearts and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbour and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isn't that exciting? You may be excited. I grant you that now. 
God's been a husband to us. And he's made a new covenant. Not like the old covenant. It's not like the old covenant. You know, we have much to learn from Israel and the Jews. We have a lot to learn from them. But we don't have the same covenant anymore. A new covenant has come that's changed the things. And we have to live according to the new covenant where God says, I'll write my laws on your heart. They'll be there. So there's something that God does in me in this new covenant that means I want to do the will of God. Why? Because he's written it on my heart. Not because I'm reading out something and saying, I have to obey this, I have to obey that, I have to obey the Torah and keep the law and do all of these things. God says, I'm going to write it on your heart. And he talks about giving us, instead of a heart of uh, stone, a heart of flesh. That's the new covenant. And we live in that. That's a wonderful thing, a wonderful place to be, to live in this new covenant. I'm going to write these things on your heart. You don't need to teach, or you won't need to teach your neighbour, know the Lord. He'll know the Lord because I'm writing a new covenant and if they submit, they'll know all about me. They'll know me from the least to the greatest. Why? Because I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I'll remember no more. I said that the Bible is about two men. There's the first Adam we just read about. And then comes the second Adam. Praise the Lord. He lived just like the old Adam, in that he had flesh, he had a body, he had needs, he had all the things that the first Adam had, yet he didn't sin. That's the difference. He succeeded where the first Adam failed. When Adam, the first Adam was tempted, he fell. But Jesus never failed. Praise the Lord. He never failed. So when the first Adam brought sin on man, the second Adam brings forgiveness, redemption. That means he's brought us back. And he's given us right standing with God. But the price for all this was him offering himself as the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. That's what the cross is about. If you can imagine a picture of heaven where Jesus comes to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. The price of their forgiveness is my blood and here it is. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like the cross. There are some people that say Christianity is too basic, too primitive. Well, it is basic. It is primitive. Do you know why? Because sin is basic and it's primitive and it kills and it destroys and it maims and it's turned this world into what we see, wars and troubles and all those things. And Jesus presented his blood and the Father said it's acceptable. And you know what the Father's response to it was? He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. If you went back into 2 Chronicles 5, you'd find, you don't have to look it up, but you'd find that the temple, Solomon's temple has been built, this magnificent building. But it's just a building. It's only a building. 
But the difference is that God says, I will come and dwell there. And in 2 Chronicles 5, you'll find that when the Holy Spirit or when God comes and fills his temple, it says the priests can't stand. They fall over. They can't stand because of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that came. Their only reaction was to fall on their faces and worship God. And you know what God did here at Pentecost that we read about? He came to fill his temple. That's what happened. Why? Because God now dwells with man. You're very quiet this morning. <clears throat> Where had the Holy Spirit been up before Pentecost? Well, he's always been because he's part of the Godhead. <clears throat> he's part of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's called the executive of the Godhead. That means he makes things happen. In creation, it says that God brooded. I think that's a lovely phrase, brooded over creation. Who was that brooding? That was the Holy Spirit, did all the brooding. He's the bringer of life. He's the one that when Adam received life in the first place, it was because the Holy Spirit came and brought him life. The Holy Spirit came. But in the Old Testament, it talks about the Holy Spirit resting on men. He speaks to men. He moves men. But he didn't indwell men. Why? Because the sin issue hadn't been dealt with. That had to wait until Calvary, till the cross. You see, in John chapter 7, which you can look at, there's a lovely thing. I often refer back to this. Jesus is, in John 7, with his brothers. And it's the time of tabernacles. And you know, the Jews believe that in the time of tabernacles, that's when the Messiah will come. So right at the beginning of John 7, it says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, tabernacles was near therefore his brothers said to him leave here and go into Judea so your disciples also may see the works which you're doing for no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly if you do these things show yourself to the world these brothers are giving good advice they're not they're being sarcastic they're saying you think you're the Messiah why aren't you up in Jerusalem that's when the Messiah comes the time of tabernacles. So this is sheer sarcasm on their parts. Leave here, go into Judea, so your disciples can see. No one does anything in secret. You see, that's sarcasm. And Jesus says to them, my time is not yet here. Your time is always opportune. You can go up there anytime. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I don't go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Yet he did go up to the feast afterwards. He was just saying to them, you go up. Go on. My time's not there. I'll, I'll come when it's the right time for me, not when you tell me to. And Jesus goes up and part of the feast is on the last day of the feast. They get lots of water and pour it out over the altar. And they pour it out over the altar to 
commemorate the time when they were children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were gasping for water and God poured out water for them. And in verse 37... It says this, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Can you imagine it? They're pouring the water out and suddenly Jesus stands up and his presence is, is magnetic. And they're all looking at him and he cries out this, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Come unto me and drink. But it, there said, it says this in verse 39, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if you've been wondering if I've been preaching heresy, there we are. It's there. The Spirit was not yet given to men. But Jesus stood up and he said, anyone who's thirsty, the Spirit's going to come and fill you so you never thirst again. We should, or we could burst into, what, never thirst again? Yes, never thirst again. So Let's think it going. So I'll never, never thirst again. <laughs> John chapter 14. We're a strange bunch. <laughs> John chapter 14. Verse 16. I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Bear in mind this is the time when Jesus is speaking to them before he goes and is arrested, okay? And they're all wondering what on earth is going on. He says, I'm going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. That's why the average person or the person on the, uh, the uh, Clapham omnibus that's used in the courts doesn't receive the Holy Spirit until they repent. But because he does not see him alone, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So something's going to happen that's going to change the situation. And that's something, under the new covenant, we become the temple of God. You and I built together. That's why we need one another. If I go to a building and take a brick out here and a brick out there, eventually the place falls down. We're bricks in the wall, nothing to do with Pink Floyd. <laughs> but God has made us bricks in his temple, each one of us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And God at Pentecost came to his temple. God's dwelling place. We know him for ourselves because that's what happened. Now to whom was and is the Holy Spirit promised? Well, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. We just read it there in Jeremiah. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. I love that because people say to me, how can I get to know God? Do you call on the name of the Lord? How can I 
You know, will God leave me? Will God accept me? Yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Every believer. To you and your children. So the curse of the sour grapes going down to the children doesn't work anymore. But the blessing of you imparting things that go down to your children works. It's the opposite way around. You see that? There's a distinction between what God does originally in our lives and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you see, if you, you and I could never have understood what God was doing unless God opened our eyes a little bit. It's as if he crept up behind us and went that, you know, just opened it a little bit so we could see the light. And that's very necessary. We need that. And I think that God does that for every man, actually. But whether or not they go on from there is their choice. But there's an initial work that goes on in me, or it went on in me, of conviction, of sin, of understanding who Jesus was. God did that. I didn't realise he was doing it. He did it over a process of time. I met Christians before I was a Christian. And I listened to them, and bit by bit, something was going on in here, and God was opening my eyes to understand that he loved me and cared for me. But I still had to make that decision to follow Jesus. And I did it on the basis of that which was spoken to me, that came up. We call it a quickening. And what happens is, at a given point, I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And I'm born again. Jesus used the phrase, you must be born again. Volkswagen did not invent it. They used it. They were the first ones to use it. But Jesus said the phrase is, you must be born again. And you know, have you ever been at a birth? Then you know, if you've been at a birth, the miracle of birth. It's a real miracle. I've been at the birth of all three of our children. The second one, I, you know, I delivered myself. Well, Barb actually had it. But. <laughs> it's at times of birth that I say, thank you, Lord, I'm a man. Yeah. But because, uh, because of the midwife not turning up on time, um, I delivered Simon. Uh, and he seems to have survived. <laughs> and that. But birth is a wonderful thing. Birth is a wonderful thing. Suddenly, there's a, there's a new life there. A life that's bawling its head off, which is what you want, and it's healthy, and it's just a wonderful thing, a wonderful sight to see. And you know, when we're born again, that's what should happen. It's a wonderful sight. We come out of darkness into light, out of our past into a blessed future. And that's what the new birth is all about. And new, our new birth is our inheritance. And it should, it should actually include a clear-cut receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've discovered that if you preach to people, look, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit will come, they receive. The trouble is no one said that to me when I was, uh, first became a Christian. They never said, expect the Holy Spirit to work in your life. They just said, you've been forgiven. And they were right. And I, bless the Lord, I, I love them for it. The man who led me to the Lord is 101 now. 
and he uh, received some Maunday money uh, at this Easter. He's a lovely man. But if they'd have said to me, look, let's not stop here with you giving your life to Christ. Let's now pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. I think something would, would have happened then. What has to happen was, or what had to happen with me, I, I had to wait for a while until I got hungry again and say, Lord, I need more. And then I read in the scripture about the Holy Spirit and I said, this is what I need, Lord. And God met me. That's what has to happen. So there should be a clear-cut receiving of the Holy Spirit manifesting in a changed life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to change your life. Don't think that you can become a Christian and be the same. You'll never be the same again. God wants to change your life. If you want to hang on to the old things, you don't need Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't really speak about people that are in different positions with receiving the Holy Spirit and being born again. What it does say is that it expects everyone to go all the way through that. You get born again, you receive the Holy Ghost. It's an assumption. Why? Because it's the inheritance of every believer. You should know that you've received the Holy Spirit. You should know that you're going on in the life of God. You should know because something inside of you has changed. Now let me ask you, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Jesus said, look, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. But then on the other hand, it talks about us being thirsty for God. Are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, you'll drink. What will the Holy Spirit do? Well, he'll share the things of Christ with you and he'll glorify Christ in your life. The second thing is he'll set you apart practically. When I became a Christian, I lost all my friends. Why? Maybe it was my fault. But I lost my friends because I wanted to go the Jesus way. And perhaps I was a bit too forthright in telling them that. I didn't want to do what they wanted to do. I wanted to do what Jesus wanted. It's impossible to go the way of the world and follow Jesus. I'll tell you that now. If you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it's not easy. And you can't follow the way of the world. The third thing is that the promise is that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and teach us. And the fourth thing is he'll give us power to become a witness. You think you haven't got the power to do it? I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit has. And you've got to allow this Holy Spirit to work through you so you can be a witness. It doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner with a pole saying repent or whatever. You have to be a witness when God gives you the opportunity and opens the door for you. Okay? These are what I would call the inworkings and the outworkings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the two should balance themselves up. They should be balanced. It's a bit like a balanced diet. One cake in one hand, another cake in the other hand. <laughs> but we need to have the inworking and the outworking. Some people don't realise that the Holy Spirit wants to work in their lives and change them. That's what he's, he's coming to do. He wants to make us more like Jesus. And at the same time, he wants to use you in the world to tell other people the same thing. So God builds into you and will bring out of you what he will if you let the Holy Spirit work. And we're his representatives. You know, we represent Jesus here in this world. 
We're his representative. No, no in working, no outworking. I've written down here, we've got the power to live Jesus. Yeah, the power to live Jesus. The power to proclaim Jesus. The power to confirm the word of Jesus. Now, how can I stay filled with the Spirit? The first way is abiding. Abiding in Jesus. It keeps us open and clean as the temple of the Holy Spirit should be. The second thing is to be wise in our walk, not grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, in Ephesians, it says, the days are evil. Have you ever thought of that? You wonder why life's the way it is? Because the days are evil. It's in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Don't grieve. Here we go, mine's right now. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We could spend hours on this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came as a dove. Now, we've taken to watching pigeons, which is sort of, uh, I'm not very good with birds, but they're, they're a bit like doves and part of the same family, aren't they? And we've, we've got pigeons that sit in our back garden and, trot around and fly around and make nests and various things. And they're very easily frightened or grieved. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The days are evil. Keep close to Jesus. Abide in him. And in Ephesians 5, it talks about fanning the flame of the Spirit of God. Fanning the flame. I think it was Wesley who said, look, people love to come and see other people who are on fire. It's a spectacle. You know, fan the flame. Now, all this happened at Pentecost. But I want to tell you this, that Pentecost was the first outpouring of the Spirit, the birth of the new church. But in Acts chapter 10, we have what I call the Gentile Pentecost, with Cornelius, where the Gentiles came into it. The Jews, at, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, is all about the Gentiles coming into it. And throughout the scripture, there are times when the Spirit came again. There's no reason why we can't say, Lord, come again. Come again on us, or me as an individual, if you like, but as we gather together to let the Holy Spirit work in our midst. So Pentecost is not an optional extra. The Christian life is believing and receiving. You believe and you receive. The life of Jesus is brought to us by the Holy Spirit, who brings us the presence of Jesus. Now, I'd like us to stop for a minute. I've been fairly comprehensive in what I've said. But look, <coughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. We need to ask the Lord to come and move in us and challenge us and change us and do what he wants to do as the next step in our lives. Do you agree? Yeah. Could we have the band up? We're just going to worship a little bit and ask the Lord to come and move in us.
Now, if you're in a position where you feel that you want prayer, then come out here and we'll pray for you. Because God wants to do that. God wants to fill us. Do you believe that God wants to fill you with the Spirit till you're full? It was Moody who said, when someone said to him, why do you keep praying to be filled with the Spirit? He said, because I leak. God wants to fill us again and again. Have you got something you could sing? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. And let's just have a little bit of worship and start praying. Lord, come and move on us. And move in me. And if you want prayer, you can come out the front. Don't have to. Get someone next to you to pray with you. That's fine. However it goes. But ask God to deal with you. And ask God to bless you and refill you. This is Pentecost. Hallelujah. I've kept quiet. I haven't shouted today. But you can shout if you like. Let's stand up, shall we?